I welcome you this morning. I am so glad that you chose to come and meet with God's people, whether online or in this house. When you woke up this morning and you looked outside, oh, what a day. What an amazing day. But I trust part of this amazing day will because you have come today to meet, to praise, to be fed, to be encouraged, to be inspired, and to be convicted. I am so glad you're here because we're going to continue the exciting story of the early church found in Acts. This all started for those who've been with us way back in Acts chapter 1 when Pentecost came. And 120 Christ followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Word of God was preached. And the church began to grow. Part 1 of Acts, the first 12 chapters, focuses on the explosion of the church in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But the gospel expanding to all the world happens in Acts chapter 13 and goes all the way to the end of Acts. God's plan was simple. Fill believers with his spirit. Send them out as the church, his ambassadors, proclaiming his powerful message of life. So Paul did just that on his first missionary trip. He started churches in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe before he returned back to his home church in Antioch. But as he was there, again, most of you know that trouble arose. There was a group of people called the Judaizers that came and began to add to the gospel message. So Paul and some of his group went to Jerusalem. They met as a council. They were able to define once again what the gospel is. That it wasn't any of, well, the Jewish laws that had to be added, including circumcision. This was something that Jesus Christ proclaimed and the apostles proclaimed that Christ came died on the cross, shed his blood to pay for our debt. And anybody who puts their faith and trust in Christ's shed blood on the cross, well, they get to be part of God's family. That grace is extended and that they become a son or a daughter of God. Well, that passed. They went back to the church after the Jerusalem council, and they began to teach in Antioch and encourage the believers right there. But then it happened. It happened. God nudged Paul and Barnabas. And as he nudged Paul and Barnabas, he said, hey, you know what? You guys did a great job in that first missionary trip, but I'd like you to go back to those churches. I want to make sure you encourage them. I want to make sure they're walking with God. I want to make sure that, well, the leadership is doing well. And they both agreed to it. The mission was clear. But where they didn't agree was the leadership. Who to take? And so after, again, describing the issues and understanding the, the scenario, they separated. And, and you can go back into our series and, and be able to learn a little bit about that. But we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to keep moving. Once they separated, they went into two different teams. It was Barnabas and John Mark. They went one way and started off in Cyprus. And then Paul took Silas and eventually met Timothy. And we even saw last week that Dr. Luke joined the team. And this is what Acts documents. This is where we find out what happened, at least in the apostles' life right here. And we learned last week that after some closed 
doors. Paul was all anxious to get the word out. Paul wanted to be able to proclaim the gospel to every place. Paul wanted to start new churches. But there were some doors that were closed. And so he tried different ways and different scenarios, and, and he eventually ended up in Philippi, in Europe, where he begins to minister to a group of women praying by a river. And that's really where we left off in Acts chapter 16 last week. Paul went along with his team and began to teach and begin to encourage and begin to strengthen these ladies. Well, one of the ladies' name was Lydia, and she had a rather large house, so she offered, why don't you and your team come and spend your days and nights at my home? I will take care of you. This is where we pick up the story. But I'm telling you, if you have never read this, you won't believe what happens next. It, you won't. And even if you've read it, it's hard to believe what happens next. So before we open up Acts chapter 16, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we ask you at this moment that you would inspire us. We know, God, that this happened thousands of years ago. But right now, God, your plan is exactly the same. You want to fill believers with the Spirit and send them out as your ambassadors into a world that's hurting, that's prejudiced, that's splintered, that's discouraged. We have the message of hope. We know that we can be rescued, that we can be reconnected with God, and that we can live abundantly right now, Father, and look forward to eternity forever and ever and ever. God, the message is amazing. The message changes people. And we thank you for the privilege of being part of your mission. We ask you this, Father, that, that today you would be especially not only with our church, whether they're, they're listening online or, or right here in the house, but we pray, dear Father, for those churches in this area. We think especially of Grace Point Church, one of our sister churches right in Mundelein. Lord, there is a new pastor there starting soon. You've brought together a team, and we are grateful for the way that you have worked. And we pray that this team would strengthen that congregation. We also thank you, Father, for Casa de Erosión. They're in a new building, and they have new opportunities. And we pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And we pray for the chapel, Lord that you would be with their leadership and their outreach and that you would be glorified in all that they do. Lord, we know that the enemy works hard to destroy, to disrupt, and to discourage. God, we come at all different places in our life right now. Some of us are flying high and some are quite discouraged. Some of us are, are battling sickness, and some of us are, are just depressed. Lord, we look around, and, and in some ways, there's little hope. If all of our eggs are in our culture's basket, or in our bank account, or in our wisdom, oh God, we ask that you would teach us and guide us and strengthen us this day. Open your word today. Give us eyes that we normally wouldn't have. And we thank you for all that you're doing. And pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start reading at verse 16. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd love for you to read from there. But if for some reason you don't have your Bible you can read on the screen behind me. Again, I'm going to apologize. There's a lot of verses on there, and almost every one of my texts, I did not break it up this week just because I think it's going to be important that you refer back to this text 
as I go through this. So if you're struggling, bring your Bible. And if you're not, thank the Lord, all right? Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, remember, that's where we left off. Um, Paul and his team were visiting these women. Uh, They were staying at Lydia's house. So this was just another day, another morning. They get up. They're heading to the place of prayer. They're going to be doing some more teaching. This is kind of exciting for Paul. It's not as big of a crowd that he's used to, but, but here it is. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how you can be saved. Well, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in an inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And now just mind you, this is Paul who's on his second missionary trip. Things seem to be moving along well. God guided him to the city of Philippi up in Europe, and he's got an audience. He's teaching some women, and he's been going there day after day after day, encouraging them and strengthening them. Well, one day it it happened. They were met by a girl who was demonized. And, And every day as they walked to the river... She didn't have a megaphone back then, but but can you imagine maybe trailing behind or shouting at the top of her lungs, hey, hey, everybody, just want you to know, these guys, they're the real thing. They've come from the Almighty God, and they're going to tell you how to be saved. Why don't you come and join us? Now, in some ways, we look at this, and, and we think, well, that's not so bad. I mean, the enemy is kind of setting up them, and, and this, is, this is kind of a good thing. But if you look at it, it's probably not the gal that you want endorsing your ministry. So Paul, all we know about this is he finally gets exasperated, and he casts out this demon in the name of Jesus. <laughs> as soon as that happens, And the owners of this slave girl find out they get ticked. Their fortunes are shattered. They drag Paul and Silas to the town's authorities, probably focusing, if we can look at the scripture here, on their Jewish background and using the Romans' great hatred of the Jews here. And this may be the reason why Luke, who was a Gentile, and why Timothy, who was half Gentile, were not part of these beatings. Just Paul and Silas. Let me give you one little background, too. In a Roman colony, the marketplace usually included a judgment seat. Or maybe some of you have heard the term bima seat. And this is probably where Paul and Silas were thrown. 
This Bema seat is a raised zone platform from which government officials tried cases and issued proclamations. So they get dragged before the magistrates. Now, try to picture this. I know some of you have heard this story and listened to the story, but, but try to picture this. Paul did not get up, nor his team, in the morning saying, whoa, this is going to be an unusual day. I, I mean, things are going to go south for us a little bit. No. He had a plan. His plan was go encourage these ladies. But finally, he decided this was enough. So he casts out this demon. And before he knows it, he's the object of mob violence. Nobody saw this coming. The officials hand Paul and Silas over to a mob who humiliate them by stripping them down and then severely beating them with rods and then sending them to prison, putting them in a stocked chained, well, part of the prison, an inner dungeon. This was humiliating. It was painful. And it was extremely harsh treatment, even in the Roman culture. You look at these initial verses, and you wonder, you wonder what was going through Paul and Silas's mind. You wonder what was actually happening as Dr. Luke was standing on the side. And Timothy, well, what just went wrong here? What is going on? But there are a few takeaways just in this section, and, and let's look at it. First of all, one of the things we start off with is that Paul was working with those who respond. I shared with you last week that, first of all, women did not have a high place in this culture. But that's who Paul was serving and ministering to. And I think in spite of the cultural or ministry value of this group of ladies, God moved him to a place to encourage these ladies. That excited me. Because sometimes we as Christians don't see our roles as very significant. Sometimes we're working with children. And it doesn't seem like it's that important. I mean, how many diapers can you change? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody is even listening to me while I change the diapers. But sometimes God uses us to work with scenarios or situations that, well, maybe we don't see are that important, but God does. The second thing is, is that the messenger matters. I, I mean, this lady, no matter if she was sharing truth or not, she was a person that had a pretty poor reputation. Thirdly, Jesus is the one who delivers people from the enemy. It is Jesus who does the rescuing. It is in the name of Jesus that gives people life. And lastly, and, and this one is a little bit harder to swallow. But you will suffer physically, financially, and emotionally when you obey God. You will. And it's during the times when you're hurting that you start questioning God and His faithfulness and His will. Not fair is normal. Now we look at this story and we recognize that hey, wait a minute, Paul and Silas really didn't do anything here to deserve this kind of treatment. And I'm wondering, maybe that did go through their mind. But nowhere in this text do we see that. And we have a feeling sometimes as believers that we ought not suffer. That we should have the greatest health and we should have the biggest bank account and we should have the best marriages and that our kids should always follow God. 
That's what we hope. And when there are times when not fair happens, Lord, I, I've listened to you. I am in the ministry. Why isn't my son listening to you? Lord, I've sacrificed. Lord, I've served. Lord, why don't you help me out? Well, I got to believe that Paul and Silas absolutely knew without a doubt that they were in God's will. They were listening to God. There was some kind of an impact at that river. And all of a sudden, they're getting beaten. Wow. Let's continue. Acts 16, starting at verse 25. This is where the shock happens. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, ran down to the dungeon, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all those who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and sent a meal before them and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now normally, again, we don't have a perfect timeline here, but this didn't happen after dark. So as these men were being beaten, as they came before these officials, and eventually they were sent to the inner dungeon, well, let's just say for at least a couple hours, we're silent. We find out here that it's about midnight when we hear Paul and Silas praying and singing. I wonder about the delay. Could it have been that they were just wrestling with God at this moment? As they sat there with their feet in stocks and their back bloodied and miserable in their hands in chains. Were they questioning God, his ways, his methods, maybe his will? Didn't I hear you correctly, God? Didn't you say go to Philippi? I guess it could have happened, but honestly, I don't think it actually did because of what happened later. And it could have. Maybe it was they were just too weak. Maybe they were tossed in this dungeon. Maybe they were faint. Maybe they were unconscious. I, I, I don't know. But I know this. About midnight, with their feet in stocks and their back bleeding and bruised, and their arms in chains, we are told that Paul and Silas are praying and singing. We're also told that the prisoners are listening. Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I would say they knew about the commotion. They, they knew that these really, um, you know, bad people were tossed in this inner dungeon. We also know that an earthquake happens, a massive earthquake. 
and most of you even know that that as earthquakes kind of gain their power, they destroy buildings, roofs fall, uh, walls come in. Doors just don't open. Stocks just don't, you know, uh, get free. And chains just don't fall off of people. They, they don't. But that's what happened. The doors fly open and the chains fall off. And God chose to do this miraculously. And only these things were the things affected. Now, of course, the earthquake happened and, and the jailer gets up and runs down to the jail and it's his worst nightmare. According to Roman law, if any prisoner escaped, that that person would automatically get the sentence with all the doors open and him thinking all the cells empty his only choice was to commit suicide. So he pulls out his sword. And we don't get the details here, but the next thing he hears is Paul saying, stop, 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 stop. Uh, hey, everybody's here. Everyone's here. Don't worry about it, okay? I know the doors are open. I know we're all walking around at this moment, but we're all here. Now, I'm wondering if those words even shook him up more than the earthquake and seeing all those doors open. The scriptures tell us then that the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Now, again, there's not a lot of detail. We would love to have more detail here. I don't know all that the jailer had heard, but he must have heard the message from Paul and Silas while chaining them up. Hey, guys, um, my responsibility is to make sure you don't escape. I'm bringing you down in the dungeon. Hey, by the way, what did you do to deserve this down in the dungeon thing? My guess is, is just like any other opportunity Paul had, that he would proclaim the good news in the gospel. Uh, by the way... We just want you to know about Jesus. He is Savior. He is Rescuer. Amazing message while being chained up. And now, now, just a little bit later, it made an impact. The scriptures tell us that they were praying and singing. Now, my guess is if the prisoners were listening, they had to be doing this out loud. They weren't just kind of mumbling the prayer. Or singing. I am so sure that that's not heard. So what was the prayer? What were they praying for? What made this impact? Was it, was it prayers of, oh, Lord, uh, what's the deal? I, I don't think so. I, I don't know what they were praying about. I don't. And the songs and the singing, what was it? But the prisoners were listening, and I'm assuming so was the jailer. When he came down and saw nobody ran, he even had to ask about that. What? Why didn't you guys leave? Why didn't you leave? We don't have all those answers to these questions, but I got to believe that what the jailer was saying is, you know what, I've never seen somebody so bloodied. I've never seen anybody respond this way. I know you guys are praying and you are singing. I want what you have. That's what I want. Because I've never seen anything like this. And Paul replies, well, you can have this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household, anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. 
This is not a casual belief. This is not, yeah, I know that Jesus lived. Yeah, okay, I even know he, he was resurrected. Uh, you know, I've heard those stories. No, you need to believe that Jesus Christ died in your place, paid your debt so that you might be a son or a daughter. You might be redeemed. You might be reconciled with the Almighty God. You will have the Holy Spirit living in you. You will have a mission for the rest of your life. And someday you will see Jesus. Oh, yeah. Jesus has come to rescue you, your household, and mankind. Now, if you look at the verses, nowhere does it say, uh, and, and the jailer fell on his knees and received Christ as his personal Savior. But we know that salvation happened to this household. And probably right before verse 32, it must have come here because Paul begins teaching him right away, being giving him truth and say, hey, this is what you need to understand as a Christian. This is how you function. This is the discipling that's already happening. Paul, who is bloodied, a man comes to faith and he starts teaching him right away. What a passionate man. Life changes immediately. The jailer, he cares and he washes the wounds. All of a sudden, his whole mentality has changed. Everybody gets baptized, even at the odd hour. Hey, let's go do it. What's stopping us? We want to proclaim to everyone we've met Jesus. He is our Savior. Then they sit down and enjoy a meal together and rejoice. Oh, they were enemies moments before this. But the gospel unites enemies and makes them br brothers. Now this ends up, this is quite the story, right? It is. This is so cool. But I want you to know, this happened after Paul and Silas got beaten up. They're still standing there, maybe even having their wounds freshly dressed in extreme pain. How wonderful, though, that a whole family now knows Jesus. Let's have some takeaways here. Just in this small section, first of all, a relationship with Jesus is pretty sweet. You, you just got to know that, and I think almost every one of you do. But to be able to enter life and go through any circumstance, that Jesus, our relationship with Jesus is enough, no matter what you're going through. You can pray. You can be joyful. It's because of who God is. It's so different. And when you have a vital relationship with God and you pray out loud and you sing out loud, people are listening. Now, I am not sensing again that these two were focusing on the injustice and getting the short end or even being treated unfairly. But wouldn't you have loved to be transported back then? Wouldn't you have loved to hear the prayers in their song? Would they have here been praying, Father, I don't understand what you're doing, but Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being representatives of you. Of course, those prisoners, that jailer was absolutely amazed. Maybe they started singing out a song. Maybe a song like, Blessed be the Lord. It's a song we sing often here, but, but I printed out some of the words. Can you imagine? And, and I don't think they were squeaking this. They were kind of, Blessed be your name, God, in the land that is plentiful, where the stream, where your streams of abundance flow. Hey, when things are going good, blessed be your name, Father, blessed be your name. But 
when I'm found in a desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. But when the darkness closes in, when the rods are cutting my flesh, I'm still going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that when you lose a job in your income? And the future financially looks really dim. Not that you're some crazy person, just, thank you, Jesus. Oh, whoa, this is so cool. But God, I'm going to bless you. You have a plan for this. I'm going to trust you. When you get that doctor's, well, word. Not that you were expecting. When you get that phone call, that a loved one has passed. Well, Lord, I, I'll get this. I shared with you last week just a little bit that, that a good friend of ours met Jesus last Sunday. Sharon and I are going to be going to the funeral tomorrow. But the truth is, this man was an amazing servant of God. He was faithful in his service. He loved God, and actually when he retired, and this was the most amazing thing, what he did is go into full-time Christian work. Where so many people, when they finally get to retirement, it becomes all about them. Not Cardin. Cardin continued, and Cardin served, and Cardin was able to work with kids and plumb, because that's what he was, a plumber, up at a camp over and over and over. I, I look at this, and, and in some ways I go, Lord, when I heard this, man, there are so many others, Lord, that it's all about them. Lord, couldn't you have taken somebody else? What is your plan here? You're taking someone in the trenches, and yes, he gets to see you, and yes, he gets to enter eternity, but oh God, why? And we all have these questions at times, but I think in this jail cell, the thing that came out, blessed be your name, Lord. I, I don't get this, but blessed be your name, Lord. Lord, thank you for this privilege of being with us and walking with us and giving us strength and perspective. You see, I'm pretty convinced that joy in spite of suffering gives you and me a stage. It is so easy to praise God when the money is flowing in, when the organization is humming along nicely, and the wind is at your back. It's natural to praise God after an earthquake has broken open the prison gates, shattered the stocks, and loosened your, sh your shackles. Almost said shingles, shackles. But it's extremely difficult to praise God when you are still stocked and chained in a dungeon with your back against the wall and you see no reason to hope. How is this God's plan? How is this God's will? But sometimes we go through tough times. And I believe that joy is a choice for those who are spirit-led. I am not saying that there's sometimes depression and some other emotional scenarios that require medical attention. I, I know that. But I also know that there is something in a relationship with God that enables you to choose joy and to be able to pray out loud and to be able to sing when your back is bleeding. And that inspires me. You see, God uses the joy of his servants to accomplish his plans no matter what circumstance, not because he needs our power of positive thinking to make good things happen, but to encourage us to choose to find satisfaction in him 
rather than our circumstances. I love it when the Apostle Paul writes just a little later in Philippians chapter 4. He's writing to a church. This church. Maybe a church that formed just a little bit later. And he says, hey, I just want you to know, rejoice always, always, always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. They remembered that. They remembered those incidents. And even when the apostle went back and encouraged this church. I love in Habakkuk 3 when we started off with Johnny and friends, with Johnny herself speaking. So many of you know her testimony. But in Habakkuk, the prophet just basically says, hey, if everything is destroyed, everything that's important to me, you just want to know I am going to praise God. God. I don't see the situation. I don't see the circumstances. And right here, what's so cool is God used it to transform a family and strengthen a church. The third thing I want you to look at in, in this is share the gospel. It's availability and it's impact in your life. That's what's going to change lives. God if you've met God, if he's transformed you and you are a son and a daughter of God and you are spirit-filled and you are walking with God, your life will be different. No matter where you go, in the office, in the neighborhood, under your roof, in the classroom. This is so exciting is that you have a message, a message of hope, a message that will give life abundant and eternal. And lastly, I love it how Paul's mission is never diminished according to circumstances. He taught new disciples. Right away, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't know about baptism, but he goes, hey, by the way, those who come to faith ought to publicly display that they now are God followers. Somewhere down the road, you probably need to be baptized. What about now, Paul? Well, it is a little bit uh, late. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Some of us haven't even made that step yet. And I want to encourage you. We have three people right now ready to be baptized. And we'll be organizing or, or, or getting a baptismal service moving here. But maybe it's that. Maybe you have not come to a place in your life where you say, you know what, I want to publicly just tell others that I, I know Jesus. How cool. And about generosity. He taught his new disciples. Hey, they all of a sudden had some meals. They all of a sudden talked probably about forgiveness. He taught them about suffering. All he had to do was point to his back. And he taught them about joy in spite of suffering. That's what he teaches his new disciples in life. And that's the privileges each one of us have as we go through life. Hey, things aren't going well. What am I going to be able to share and encourage others with? How can I be able to proclaim my faith in Jesus in spite of my health, in spite of my, well, you fill it in. Now, lastly, let's just finish up this chapter because the story really gets good here. Verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, hey, um, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. <laughs> but Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this to the city officials, they were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. 
When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia where they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. The jailer gets the word the next morning for whatever reason. Let him go. Let him go. Well, well there's a problem. Paul reveals they are Roman citizens. And although we don't understand this, every Roman citizen had a right of a trial before they were given punishment. They also had the right of dignity during punishment. In other words, they couldn't be humiliated publicly. These two fundamental rights for Roman citizens were violated the officials knew this. They were alarmed. They apologized, and they begged them, would you guys leave? Would you guys go? The scriptures tell us they did leave, but they went to Lydia's home. Can you imagine how they looked? I, I, I know they were cleaned up a little bit, but was her face and back and arms and legs still swollen? And they sat down and they encouraged the believers there. They encouraged them again, even looking and feeling the way they did. Then the scriptures tell us they did leave. They had to leave an impression. And they left the locale. Here's some takeaways. If Paul would have spoken up right away when he was getting beaten, the jailer and his family at least would not have known God at this time. You see, I, I think a major takeaway right here is listen to the Spirit in order to know when to shut up and when to speak up. Every one of us love to use the get out of jail free card. I, I get it. But somehow, Paul didn't. And God used it. When do we know that? How, how do we get the promptings of the Spirit? But when we walk with God, there's no doubt that we have the ability to know when to talk and when not to talk. And then lastly, take advantage of your experiences to encourage, inoculate, and to disciple. Do you realize how powerful your words are? Pumping others' tires in spite of the difficulties or, or hard journey you're on. To inoculate. We all are really familiar with what that term is now. But to warn, do you know it is normal to suffer? Do you know that when you talk about Jesus, this is a good opportunity or a good possibility, or this may happen to you? You may lose friends. You may get fired. It doesn't mean any one of us are obnoxious. But we are lovingly and carefully proclaiming the news that has changed us. And then to disciple. Help others on that journey. Recognize over and over and over again, hey, God gave me this situation. God gave me this truth. This is how I was able to get through. I don't know who you're working with. I don't know who you're influencing. But I know that in every one of my groups, every time I meet... One of the things that we discuss is, what did your week look like? How did that encourage others? It takes different forms and goes different directions, but over and over and over again, can you imagine you losing your job and sitting at your 
supper table with your four kids looking at you and your wife and being able to explain to them, you know something, I lost my job today. I'm going to still trust God. We're going to trust God. He's going to take care of us. I, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like tomorrow. But I know this. We have a good, good God. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that is involved in our lives. And we can trust him. He is worthy. And his presence in our life is enough. Is enough. You know, today was a great story. It really was. And as you even read through this, or maybe as you go through the weekly walk later, but as, as you see all that God did in these guys' lives, the impact that was made, the folks who were saved, the discipleship that had happened, I'll tell you, it is inspiring to me. I want that. I do. I want a relationship with God like Paul and Silas had. And my guess is that you do too. You do. And may God encourage each one of you on this journey. Maybe even some conviction is happening right now. Maybe you need to get in some kind of a group or some kind of a, a discipleship or a mentoring thing. Maybe you need help in your growth. Maybe you need someone to walk alongside of you. We can't make that happen, but we want to encourage you and help get you connected. May God give each one of you grace to recognize the great privilege that each one has who knows Jesus. And may you grow in your faith. Let's pray. Father, we know that your mission is unfinished. We know that you've asked us to share the good news that has changed our lives and to make disciples. And yet, God, sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we're focused inward. Sometimes we're too busy. God, may you use this story in our lives today to inspire and to convict and to empower. May your mission be accomplished today because we are listening. Father, there's someone here today that doesn't know you, is not part of your family. We pray even today that they would take that step of faith. And for all the rest, Father, we ask that you would work in them. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.